Matthew 8, and we are finishing up chapter 8 this morning as we look at verses 28 through 34. Matthew 8, starting at 28. So read the passage and then follow that up with a, a short prayer. Matthew 8:28. And when he had came to the other side, he to the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him coming out of the tomb, so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out, "What have you to do with us, O son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time?" Now a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them, and the demons begged that, begged him saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, Go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. The herdsmen fled, and going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. Let's pray. Father, as we open your word, preach your word, and hear your word, we pray that your spirit would speak and open ears. You'd open the eyes of our hearts that we might know and see our Christ, your Son, our King. And so help us, help us to hear and to know and to love the Lord Jesus. For it's His sake we pray. Amen. So if we've come off the the mountain at the end of Matthew 7 uh, we we know at that point that Jesus speaks with authority that's how the, the chapter 7 finishes they're astonished at his teaching as one who had authority not as their scribes well Matthew as he's writing his gospel is making known to us that his teaching isn't the only thing that carries authority but his actions and his word. He cleanses a leper at the beginning of Matthew chapter 8. He heals uh, the centurion's servant. He heals the, the mother-in-law of Peter. He is commanding authority over the human body. But then we also see in Matthew chapter 8, he's just not commanding authority over the human body, but even over the winds and the waves, uh, as we saw last week, as he calms the storm. Today we see the authority of Jesus, the command of Jesus, not just over the body and creation, but over evil itself, over demons, and ultimately over Satan. 
Matthew wants you to understand one thing about Jesus all throughout his gospel. And that is Jesus is king. King over creation. Whether it be the sickness of a body, the winds of a storm, or the torments of a demon. Jesus is king of all. And so that's where we are today. Um, we're going to use Matthew, or Mark, excuse me, Mark's account of this passage to, to help us see a few details that Matthew leaves out. Now they're, they're, I want you to I want you to sort of understand something when it comes to comparing stories or events out of different gospels. Some of these events out of these different gospels come to us with different details. So in Matthew, we're presented with two, two men possessed by demons. In Mark, we hear, this, we hear the, the retelling of the event as one man, and he has a name, and he's filled with many demons, and that demon is called Legion. Now here's what I want. I want to give you a, a bit of uh, maybe some peace of mind if you've struggled with trying to understand why one gospel might give detail one way and one gospel give detail another way. Because many, many people throughout Christianity, the history of Christianity, the, the history of the Scriptures, has attacked the Scriptures because everything isn't exactly the same from one gospel to the other. But here's the beauty of God. The Word of God is written by God, but is written by men. Breathed out by God, but penned by men. It's a paradox, as you might think. Given to us exactly the way God designed to give it to us, yet through the characteristic and perspective of different men. Okay, let's say you are going home and you see this event happening in the field. Alright, let's, and let's just say um, you're going that way seeing the event and someone's coming this way seeing the event. If you both get together and tell your story of seeing that event, you will tell the same story of the same event, but with different details and different perspective. Okay? You came from the north. They came from the south. And not only would you give a different perspective and maybe a few details, you might emphasize something differently. Because from your perspective, the, the emphasis was on this particular part of the event. So all that to say, all that to say, there's no, there's no shame in, in seeing different details from different perspectives of the gospel. Matthew, Matthew wrote from the perspective of a Jew to Jews. Luke wrote from the perspective of a physician, a historian, to give an account for people, not just Jews, to read and say, ah, oh, this is something that truly happened. We have the Word of God given to us by the Word of God exactly the way God intended. So all that to say, there are times that we can go to Matthew and Mark and do what's called harmonizing these scriptures, kind of overlaying them and seeing more of the story. But you have to be careful. But you can't always do that in scripture because there might be times that you're overlaying things on top of other things that don't need to be overlaid. And so you have to, you kind of have to be careful and watch that. But we're going to use Mark to help us with that this morning. And so you might want to go ahead and flip to Mark 
and put a ribbon in five or your bulletin or whatever or, or, or a finger and mark five because we're going to use mark to help us with some details. Um, let's see. We've got one, two, three, really four guideposts for us through this through this text this morning. And I'm not going to I don't want to reveal them to you until we go uh, uh, only as we go along because I don't want they're kind of wordy. So the first thing I want you to, to see and realize as we walk through these few verses is, number one, the reality of evil. The reality of evil. Look, look at verse 28. And when he came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him coming out of the tombs, so fierce, so fierce, that no one could pass that way. So the first, if, if you're reading this passage, the first trigger word that you come across is what? Demon. You've been in it. Had, had many talks about demons recently? Having any, you know, conversations with your kids around the table about, there's not a lot going on as far as conversation about demons. It's probably a lot we don't really understand when it comes to demons. Now, what we're not going to do this morning is have some sort of uh, systematic theological understanding of demons. We might do that one of these days, uh, but today isn't really the day. However, I do want us to understand a few things about evil, Satan, and his demons as we uh, go through this. Because things are revealed to us about uh, the demonic as we read through this section. So, you Let's just make sure we understand, at the most basic level, what is a demon? Okay? What is a demon? It's just simply an angel in rebellion. Okay? Just basic, simple, flatline, a demon is an angel in rebellion. And if it's an angel, then it's spirit. Right? Has no form. God himself is spirit. His angels are spirit. Hence, even rebellious angels are spirit and hence how they could take up and possess a man so we've been influenced by media art all these things to consider when we're considering satan and his demons um and uh, we could probably toss a lot about a lot of that out but one thing is for certain and of course most people get right demons are opposed to God. And if you've been in a Sunday school class, when we've been going through First and Second Thessalonians, especially Second Thessalonians, we understand the opposition towards God, right? Demons are, we might say, the minions of the prince of demons, Satan himself, uh, which you see in later scripture, or later in the Gospels. They are a contrast to God. Satan and his demons are polar opposites to Yahweh. Now you can see this and see some of this detail as you look at uh, these demon-possessed men, or as we're in Mark, uh, the one who is possessed by legion. So with that, look at Mark. Because we don't get a lot of the detail about what's going on with this possession, other than that there was... Uh, they were among the tombs and they were fierce, which is actually says a lot. But if you look at Mark 5, 
Let's see, verse 3, speaking about this uh, man with unclean spirits, he lived among the tombs. Now, we can just stop there and get a sense of the contrast with God. The demons lived among death. God is life and light. Demons, and especially shown here, personify death and darkness. He lived among the tombs, and it says later that it was in the night and day that he was among the tombs, howling and crying out. Yahweh is the God of the living. And we read that last week. Uh, God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. He is life. Satan and his demons, not only do they are friendly with death, but they use death and bind mankind to slavery through fear of death, which we know Christ came and abolished. Not only uh, did this uh, demon live among, this demon-possessed man live among the tombs, but he lived in rebellion, living to wreak havoc. That... That's the job description of Satan and his demons. Living to rebel and to wreak havoc. If you notice in verse 3, he lived in the tombs and no one can bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one could control this demon-possessed Man, And not only could they not control him, he was a terror to God's creatures. That was Satan's first act, was it not? To terrorize God's creatures. To wreak havoc. And here we have Legion, whom he calls himself later in Mark. He calls himself Legion for he is many, or we are many, he says. But here we find himself night and day crying out, cutting himself with stones. And in Mark 5 and in Matthew 8 says that he was so fierce that no one came near. No one would pass that way. And so just to sort of bring this, try to bring this first point of understanding the reality of the demonic, the reality of demonic forces, I want you to Think for a second here and realize that this isn't a fairy tale, a myth, but this is a man like some of you. This is a man like your husband. This is a man like your father who is possessed by a demonic force. Don't let that escape you, that this is a man. That is not just influenced, but filled with an evil spirit. He's acting, or this is evil acting upon God's crowned creature. Evil is real, and the demonic is real. Satan, his desire, and the desire of his demons is to disrupt and influence. To disrupt and influence. I want you to think about probably stories you know where this has happened. Jesus, or where Satan desires to disrupt 
and influence. Remember what Jesus proclaimed to Peter as Peter bowed up and tried to correct his Lord? Get behind me, Satan. Or what about as Satan entered Judas to bring about the betrayal of Christ? And we read about Job and Peter again, where basically Satan asks the same thing of both Job and Peter. I want to shake them up. I want to cause trouble. I want to sift them like wheat. But Satan even looked to disrupt and influence Jesus in the wilderness as he tempted him time and time again. I want you to understand the demonic power is real and is great. And that's made clear all throughout scriptures. And if you believe the Bible, you have to believe that the demonic is real. Peter writes, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. That's still truth. Jesus sums up the aim of the demonic in John 10 in three words, and you know them. Still, kill, and destroy. So, you got to, I know the questions run through my head, and so... Let me answer the questions for you. Do demons still exist today? Well, I, I, I want to say yes. Why? Because the Bible <laughs> says they exist. The simple fact that we await, we await them being thrown into the lake of fire is proof that they exist. Right? We await for their final destruction. Uh, it doesn't take it doesn't take experience. To affirm that. It just takes belief in scripture. So number two. This other question that you might ask. As we think about demons. Do demons still possess people? Well again based on scripture. Nowhere does it say. That some point in time. The demonic influence. Left. God's creatures alone. Based on. Not even based on eyewitness accounts of yourself, but I'm sure that we could probably tell one another stories of something we've heard or seen of faithful witnesses who have seen such things. But I want you to understand something, that there isn't this this random act, there's not these random acts of demons possessing people throughout the world. You want to understand that the majority of this sort of demonic activity takes place in cases where people are seeking to entertain these very spirits. These, they're, see, they're seeking the demonic, whether in ignorance or not. And I see it on some of your faces. You're like, this is getting kind of weird. But I want you to – here's what I want you to understand and I'll probably make this statement more than once, to be naive or ignorant of the reality of the demonic is to put yourself in a vulnerable position, is to put yourself at risk. And, and, and we'll, see, we'll see why as we continue. Um, and, I'll, and I'll say this, there are, and I, I'm fairly convinced, that, 
that there are demonic spirits that have found themselves in cults that actually call themselves churches today. Uh, I won't go into it, but it is... uh, they, they act as if they're indwelled with the Spirit, but the reality is they are indwelled with the Spirit. It's just the wrong Spirit. Uh, number three, this, the third question, the final question. So what's, but what's the relationship? What's the relationship between demons and Christians? And this is a controversy, okay? Can Christians be possessed by demons? I'm convinced that they cannot. And I'm convinced of that. By Scripture, where the Spirit of God is, there is freedom. Now we could go into all of that, but I and but don't get me wrong. While I am convinced that possession of a Christian by demonic forces is not possible, influence is very possible. Very possible. Uh. There, um, okay, well, let me, let me just kind of lay this out for you. And so if you ever hear it, uh, you can turn from it and call it what it is. There, there's the false teaching within churches and Christian circles, uh, typically by the name, by the, the title of deliverance ministries. And, it, and when you hear it, it sounds somewhat Right and true on the surface, but ultimately what the idea behind most deliverance ministries, I'm going to throw out one name here so you kind of get a sense of the type of teaching I'm speaking of. Uh, Benny Hinn is a big deliverance ministry type of person with the, with the point that Christians can be possessed by demons and not only are they possessed by demons, but that their sin that they struggle with is Caused by that possession. So the demon of alcohol, the demon of lying, the demon of fear, the demon of what you name a sin, they can they'll they'll they can put the name demon in front of it. What does that do? That gives you the the out. The devil made me do it. No, he didn't. You did it. Your abuse of alcohol is your is your sin. You don't blame a demon. And so, and so, the idea that's that's settled within the idea of deliverance ministries is the false notion that your unfaithfulness opens yourself up to possession and therefore will cause you to sin. Well, that that that's incorrect. But you can be influenced to sin. Must not forget that. We must not forget that. Uh, again, you know, I, I quoted Peter. James says the same thing, or, or as I quoted Peter about Satan prowling around like a roaring lion. How, what does he say after that? Resist him. Resist him. Why? Because you might be influenced if you're not. Uh, we looked at First Timothy, what, 4? And one of the things that Paul uh, gives warning of is demonic teaching. <laughs> Do you know what they are? That you can't eat some things and that you can't get married. Why is that demonic? Because it is against the truth. It is against the word of God. And so Satan looks to influence, to deceive, and him and his minions are out to do it. And James repeats Peter and says, resist him. 
And what is the outcome when you resist him? He will flee. So, long story short for point number one, the reality of the evil exists, the demonic exists, and you must resist it. You must be ready and prepared to battle against it. Now, that well, that's, that's a lot from just the first verse that they're there, that the demon has possessed this uh, this man, these men. Uh, but then verse 29 through 32, help us see something else, our second guidepost. So we've got the reality of evil, but we also have the dominance of Jesus. The dominance of Jesus. And behold, verse 29, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a herd of many pigs were feeding at some distance from them, and the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away in the herd of pigs. And he said to them, Go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned into the waters. So as great as the demonic force is that's out there, here's what you need to write down. Jesus is greater. All right? Very simple. If you... Look in Mark 5, and if you don't want to turn back and forth, I understand, but here's here's what the demon-possessed man did when he saw Jesus. He ran and fell down before him. He ran and fell down before him. The demon acknowledges, not only did he run and fall down before him, but he acknowledges as who he truly was and is, Jesus, the Son of God, he acknowledges his authority over him, and he acknowledges not only that authority, but the ultimate end that will be his doom at the hands of the one he stands before. He says to him, What have you to do with us, O Son of God, in speaking about all the demons that are there? Have you come here to torment us before the time, he knows that his time will be up. He knows that one day he will be tormented for all eternity in the lake of fire. He will be destroyed by Jesus. He acknowledges his authority, his work, and his plan. Here, here's the thing we've got to understand. Good versus evil it's unmistakable and it's undeniable if you watch a movie or read a book and there's not the the plot of good versus evil it's just not a good book or movie right and why is that because good versus evil is the reality of the world that we live in they are two forces but here's what we have to understand it's not a battle of equals it is a battle of good versus evil, but that battle is not a battle of equals. Many live in this world hoping that good will triumph. Well, even Legion knows he's doomed. Even Legion knows that he's in a weaker position. Even Legion knows that his rebellion, here's, 
Here's where we have to pray and ask the Lord to help us. Even his rebellion is permissive. Even his demonizing this man is at the permission of the one he stands before. Now that you can take that, that truth, and go all the way down the rabbit hole and think, God, why? Why would you give permission to such wickedness? Here's the answer, at least for me. I don't know. But what we do know is that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. And that all that He does, all that He allows, is for the good, His glory, and the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. Now, you, you think about the power that Jesus has over such demons, the authority that He carries over Satan, no matter their efforts, no matter what is happening, they know the end. The spoiler came in Genesis 3, did it not? Enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. This is the battle, the good versus evil that would ensue for all of history. But the serpent and his seed are declared losers from day one. The seed of the woman will crush the serpent's head. Now there, there is the paradox because as the seed of the woman crushes the serpent's head, what does the seed of the, the serpent do to the seed of the woman's heel? It bruises it. So you and I, as we experience, as we experience the evil of this world, you can understand that it is just a bruise compared to the the magnitude of the victory of the crushing of Satan and his demonic power. It is just but a bruise compared to what the evil will endure for all eternity. You know, we think about the permission of God for Satan's mischief and his demons. God has permitted the mischief of Satan for the good purpose. Think about Joseph's brothers, the betrayal of Jesus. On the surface, the devil, the devil and his demons playing the evil part, and yet God says, play on with your mischief and fulfill my ends. Like Psalm 2, right? We remember going through Psalm 2 on Sunday night. And, and, and the kings of the wicked kings of this world, they, they desire to burst their bonds from Yahweh and His anointed. They're going to live as they desire, rebels without a cause. And God sits and laughs at them because their rebellion leads to the exaltation of the Christ. He sits and laughs at their rebellion. He mocks them as the sovereign, the I am, the Alpha and the Omega. And here in our text, we see this unfold as John writes in his first epistle. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And that is happening in our passage today. 
and continues on. We sing a song, we sing a hymn, a mighty fortress is our God, and the third verse goes like this, And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fail him. Jesus told these demons one word, go. That's all it takes from Yahweh and his authority and command to Satan and his minions. Verse 33, we move on. The reality of evil, the dominance of Jesus. Verse 33 and 34, the preference of fallen man. Now this is, the story takes a sad turn. Verse 33, the herdsmen fled and going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed man. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. The herds of the pig, the herders of the pigs, they, they're shocked, they're in awe, they flee into the city because after Jesus commands the spirits out of these men, he he, he sends them off into the pigs as they had, had, they had requested. They had begged Jesus to send them away from his presence and into these pigs. And as they are sent into the pigs, the pigs run off and drown in the waters as they fall off the steep banks. And so the herdsmen of the pigs, they flee into the city to proclaim what they have seen. And what do you know? The whole city wants to see it. The whole city comes out based on what they'd been told. In Matthew, we get just a glimpse of what they saw, the people from the city, when they came out to see what had gone on. It just simply says in verse 34, And behold, the city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to to leave their region. Now, if you look at Matthew 5, we get a little bit more glimpse into what they saw. Matthew 5 and verse... 15, and they came to Jesus. Look what they saw. They saw the demon-possessed man, the one whom had the legion, sitting there, clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. You know this town knew of legion, right? They knew of this demon possession that was taking place in the tombs and the mountains. They heard his cries day and night. I'm sure it was, you know, the legend of staying away from Legion and and his dwelling among the tombs. They knew of his possession. They knew of the fright and terror because they were not going near him. But then they walk to the place where they feared to go They looked upon the man they knew was possessed by a demon, and they see him in his right mind. And what does it say they were? Afraid. Now, you got to think about that one for a minute. Fearful of a demon-possessed man, not going near him. They come near him after he has been healed, the spirit's removed, he's clothed in his right mind, and they look at him and are afraid. 
Why? Now, a lot of commentators say that they pressed Jesus away because of his hurting their economy, their way of life. They're, you know, they're, they're eating their pigs, they're raising their pigs, and they were upset that they that he killed their pigs. And that's pro- there's probably some of that there, and there's probably a lesson there for us to learn as well. But here's what I, I think truly terrified them and caused them to, to, to beg Jesus to leave. And I think the answer comes from John. Not speaking of this event per se, but perhaps what the Gadarenes were feeling inside their heart when they saw Jesus sitting next to this man in his right mind. And this is what John writes. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works are evil. These people were fully aware that this Jesus just overpowered evil. And I'm convinced that they were terrified that they were next. John follows up and says, For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light. Why? So that his evil works will not be exposed. They knew that if this man could rid legion, what would they do? What would he do to them with the evilness that dwelt in their heart? So just as the demons begged to be removed from the presence of the Son of God, so did these sinful people beg that Jesus would be removed from their presence. They did not want a bit of the light, lest they be exposed. This is the preference. This is the preference of fallen mankind. You must understand this. In your own self and in your discussions with people, we don't go and talk about the gospel in the sense of I'm just going to dig down and pull out what's good in these people because I know they do want Jesus. They, 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 surely they desire, they desire him, right? He's Jesus, the Son of God. He died on the cross. No. They want to run from him. They want to send him away. This is, what did Adam do? What did Adam do? He hid. He hid. Paul referred to it this way. No one seeks God. All have turned aside. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And you say, well, yeah, they were afraid. They did not fear the Lord Jesus. They were terrified of his judgment and that they would be exposed. They did not want to reckon with that. They did not want to reckon with the wickedness that they loved. And it might not have, and in comparison to a demon-possessed man, their wickedness to you might look like child's play. 
But before the Lord God, Yahweh, evil is evil. Sin is sin. There is, there is no small sin that you can escape from. For He is a holy, just, and righteous God. And as we say, been saying on Sunday nights, He is the only one who is right and true. Do you, do you feel that this morning? I, do you I, be honest with yourself? Do you feel the fear of being exposed by God? Are you hiding? Are you trying to conceal to keep from the light shining on you? Maybe you are, you attempt to drown out the sermon because you fear that it will interfere with your life. You might be convicted of the sin that you love. Or when you read your Bible, yeah, you read your Bible, but you read it with a guard up, knowing that the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And it's not that's not a verse for us to sort of say, oh, that's so wonderful. No, no, no. The Word is living and active like a sword, and it pierces. It pierces between the things that no one can see. And it pierces and it comes in and it exposes and it lays everyone naked before God. Hebrews chapter 4. It exposes us. Perhaps you distance yourself from Christian community because you know that the church is called to hold one another accountable. And so you press away from men's meeting or women's fellowship because you know or fear your sin might be exposed. I'm going to give you bad news and good news all in one phrase. He already knows. He already knows. And you think, how's that good news? Well, you know, you may, we've all been there where we've done something and we've been hiding it and that person that comes that we've been trying to been hide it from, they come and tap us on the shoulder and they say, I know. And you're like, oh, thank goodness. And you confess and you let it all out and you seek their forgiveness. And it feels so great because you have spoken the truth because they said, I know, I know. He knows. So stop hiding it. Stop hiding that sin that you think no one else sees. Whether it's on the computer in your back pocket, on your bank account, the way you treat your wife, your kids, the way you treat your neighbor, you cannot hide it. He knows. Repent. Repent and turn from it and find forgiveness. Do not deny it. Do not try to keep it from you. Keep it from Him. Keep it from others. I urge you to confess your sin to God now. To hold on to sin is to give wide open shot to the demonic, to the influence of the evil forces around us. And when you, when you repent and you seek forgiveness, there is the mercy of God. Now, that's how we'll finish. The mercy of God. I said that's how we'll finish. We'll be wrapping up. This isn't in Matthew, but it's in Mark. But I think it's very important to see. Look at verse 18. 
Mark 5. So as, as the, the, the Gadarenes are, are begging Jesus to depart, as Jesus was getting to the boat, boat, verse 18, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him. There, okay, so we have three different applications of begging in this passage. The demons begging to be out from the presence of God. We have the, uh, the Gadarenes begging to be out of the presence of God. And now we have the man who was possessed begging to be in the presence of God. Why? And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy upon you. Mercy. Mercy. We're going to talk about this in Psalm 5 this evening. We're going to look more at the idea of the hesed of God, the mercy of God. But how do we describe the mercy of God in such a situation as this? Here's what you have to understand. Jesus crossed the sea. He got into the boat, went through the storm. He had, he had a whole community that he could have influenced, that he could have saved, that he could have healed. And he went across the sea for one man. What had he done? What had that man done? Nothing. But the mercy of God found him that day. The mercy of God came to him. That is the mercy of God. Christ coming to us. Christ revealing himself to us. Christ exercising his power to cleanse us of wickedness. And that's exactly what he did to this man. He revealed himself. He exercised his power and he cleansed him. This is a picture of the redemption of sinners and a glorious deliverer. Once were some of you, once were some of you who followed the course of the world, the prince of the power of the air. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, brought you out of the pit of hell and, set it, and, set, uh, and seated you in the heavenly places. We can praise God in Jesus Christ this morning for the mercy of we have received as Christians. Christ has come to us. Christ has revealed himself to us. For, for what reason? On our condition, on the things that we did, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to what? His own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Be cleansed by the Lord Jesus this morning. Confess your sin to Him. That, that sin that you think that no one knows about, take it to Him. Take it to Him as we sing this hymn, this final hymn. Confess to Him. Cry out to Him. Seek His mercy. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And be washed and renewed in the Holy Spirit. Now, Three words of application. I didn't write anything down. I just have headings. Number one, keep the light shining in your heart and in your life. You want to resist the devil? Keep the light, the lamp of God in your life. Number one. Number two, 
shine the light of Christ in the wicked world. Now this goes, uh, just a little bit here, this goes to what we've been talking about with Into the Light and Sex Trafficking. What a convenient name, right? Into the Light, an organization that we, we are so thankful that we get to contribute to financially. For them taking the, the truth of, of God, which is, what is the truth of God in the, in, in the realm of sex trafficking? <coughs> that the idea of sex trafficking is against God. That's its most simplest form. The truth of God says no to the very thing in practice that is taking place across this world. And it is something that we must not shy away from. We as the church who have the truth, who have the light, must speak the truth and declare the light in such a wicked world. And we're thankful to see something like this movie that's come out. And that we, we've talked about that we're, we want to get the church together. To be informed, number one, on wickedness is the first step of shining and exposing that very wickedness. There's actually some truth to this. I'm not just making it up. Ephesians, is it a yeah? Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And so, I, as a church, we must be continue with thinking and praying about how we can partner with people like Into the Light. Uh, yeah. Who are we if we're not? Same with abortion. Same with uh, uh, New Beginnings, the pregnancy center in Ash Flat. Right? The darkness and wickedness of abortion. Let us expose it. Let's just not be an old country bumpkin church that sits here every Sunday and is like, oh, we've got the light, and then shut the door and turn the lights out. Let us take the truth and the light and be partners in exposing the darkness. <laughs> Let's just pray about it to begin with. Let's just pray about it. So number one, keep the light shining in your heart and in your life. Number two, shine the light of Christ in the wicked world. Number three, you better put on the whole armor of God. You want to walk down this road, be prepared. You want to start exposing the deeds of the devil, be prepared. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Put on the armor of God because the darts will come. They have come. And they will come. And the more you press against it, 
the more they will come. Let's pray. Number one, Father, we are thankful for the deliverance that we have in Jesus Christ. That His life and death once for all frees us from sin and makes us slaves to righteousness. And I ask God that you would expose the wickedness that might be in our hearts for those who stand and sit here today. Cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Shine your light that brings about conviction as it pierced the hearts of those whom, Jesus, or whom Peter preached to. Might it pierce our hearts every day. And forgive us for our hypocrisy. Forgive us for... Forgive us. And help us. Protect us. Guard us. For we need you to stand firm in such an evil day. And might we do it in the unity and faith of of the gospel of Jesus Christ as one body and one hope and one faith and one baptism for our one Lord. It's for his sake we ask and pray this. Amen. All right, let us sing one hymn together as a church. Be thou my vision. Let's stand at 176 in the black hymn.